Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome back to the golden age of the silver screen on the MHM podcast network, where each episode we review a film from the 1930s or forties. And once again, the 1950s, I'm Chris. I'm i I'm Lori. <laughs> you sure? I was on mute. Sorry. Okay. And I'm the petticoat. <laughs> and for this episode, we are going to get cozy on a boat with 1959's Operation Petticoat, directed by Blake Edwards and starring Cary Grant, Tony Curtis, Dina Merrill, and Joan O'Brien. But before we begin, I'm going to do a brief summary. All right, Operation Petticoat during World War II. Lieutenant Commander Matt T. Sherman finds his submarine, the USS Sea Tiger, badly damaged after a Japanese air rank, air rank, air raid sinks it. With the help of his remaining men and the newly assigned but completely unethical Lieutenant Junior Grade Nick Holden, the men set out for port in Darwin, Australia. Not Austria, Lori, but Australia to make proper repairs on the vessel. Along the way, Holden swindles the army for necessary parts for the submarine and convinces Sherman to take on board five stranded U.S. Army nurses and a gaggle of pregnant women and their children. The children are not pregnant that we know of. Right, Patrick? Can you confirm? Correct. Okay. This is still a family film, Chris. Come on. However, Sherman's ship winds up with a pink overcoat and is nearly sunk by the U.S. Navy thanks to that uh, Tokyo Rose gal. But they hold out, and in the end, Sherman and Holden fall in love, but not with one another, unless their bromance counts. Did we establish they have a bromance in this one? I don't know. Well, I, I kind of took this was on the verge of the swinging 60s and the fact that all four of the... Uh, the two couples, if you will, are all kind of together at the end. I thought something else might be going on. Mm -hmm. Well, there were a lot of torpedoes shooting off in this film, so uh, maybe it's not the family film I thought. Well, it, that would explain the number of kids. It, well, there was a plethora of kids in this one. And that is a very short version of Operation Petticoat. Watch the film if you want more elaboration at the end. Uh, Patrick, you've got numbers for this film? I do. Operation Petticoat was released on December 5th of 1959, a Christmas present for the world. Uh, the same day as Republic of Sin, the same month as Suddenly, Last Summer, and that's one film title, On the Beach, Little Abner, Journey to the Center of the Earth, and 1001 Arabian Nights. It grossed uh, just over $9.3 at, in at the box office in North America, it was the third highest grossing film of 1959, right behind Ben-Hur and The Shaggy Dog, and right in front of Some Like It Hot, Pillow Talk, and Imitation of Life. 
uh, nominated for one Academy Award, Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay, written directly for the screen, lost to Pillow Talk, nominated for two Golden Globe Awards, Best Motion Picture Comedy, lost to Some Like It Hot, and Best Actor Comedy, Cary Grant lost to Jack Lemmon for Some Like It Hot. Uh, AFI for American Film Institute is one of the 500 films nominated for the 100 Years, 100 Comedies list. Uh, didn't make the top 100, ultimately. Uh, was made into a television series in 1977 that starred John Astin, Jim Varney, and an unknown Jamie Lee Curtis. It ran for two seasons, although only Jim Varney made it to the second season. And this that was my first exposure to Operation Petticoat. And Rotten Tomatoes has 81% critics and 81% audience. And that is the numbers on Operation Petticoat. Fun factoid on that. When the, the TV show came out, Jamie Lee Curtis was just as unknown to her father, Tony, as she was <laughs> to the TV viewing public. That's Too soon. Too soon. He's dead. <laughs> so painful, I'm sure. He's dead and didn't leave any of his children any money. This is my first time seeing this film. And as the opening credits started, I really did feel like this was a Disney movie, especially with knowing that Blake Edwards is the director. But what did you all think of the opening, just that opening scene in general? Did you get a Disney vibe from this? Because, I mean, this was the almost 1960, but it still was pretty cheesy, I thought, for a regular adult comedy. Uh, Lori, what did you think? It was my first time seeing this film as well. Oh, really? I, wow. Yeah. I did not get a Disney vibe. <laughs> I don't know. There was a lot of innuendo that you don't find in Disney films. Yeah, not just innuendo. I mean, they explicitly, they're they explicitly talking about that. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> so. I didn't like, yeah, it wasn't my kind of humor. It was Blake Edwards, so. I well, I like Victor Victoria and Pink Panther, and right, he did Pink Panther, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I this I don't know. I just didn't. I, it just wasn't my favorite film. I mean, it was it was good. It just um, I didn't think it was that funny. Did you guys? It had its moments. <laughs> it I did. I'm not saying I never laughed, but I just I don't know. I just expected more with Cary Grant. And Tony Curtis. I never got a vibe for Disney, but I've seen this before. And uh, I remember a lot of the UN innuendo and I, I, I did not get that at all. Uh, uh, very much a lot of the sexism. I remember distinctly, even as a kid, that was very per pervasive to me. Uh, so uh, no, I, I did not think it felt Disney esque. And I have, I have seen this before. I've seen it a couple times, but as I said, my, first exposure to even what Operation Petticoat was, was the television series, which ultimately at some point led me back to this, to see this when it came on TBS on a Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon or something like that. I mean, I get it's very innuendo-esque. Like when Lieutenant Dolores, what was her last name? Uh, Crandall? Huh? I think so. When, when she gets too close to Cary Grant, his torpedo prematurely shoots and misses its target. So, I mean, it, it was definitely there, but um, I'm, I'm still getting just like an overall, the, the music, the, the look, the, it, it was very, it's what I would expect from a, a bed knobs and broomsticks or Mary Poppins, although Mary no. Poppins was not as suggestive. 
Yeah, there was a distinct lack of animated characters for this to be. <laughs> Maybe if they look out the periscope and saw like animated fish. That would have been delightful. <laughs> Don, not swimming with them. What uh, was also, that movie called? The Incredible Mr. Limpet. Thank you. And not Disney. <laughs> that one had a Disney vibe. Yeah, it was a cartoon. that's a that's a key element in disney in that era so patrick what did you think of the humor laurie touched on it didn't work for her not uh really her style this is not far removed from the first pink panther movie which is also blake edwards but uh what did you think of the humor i you know the humor is incredibly dated you know it's it's weird to look at this in kind of a, a uh, a post me too prism uh, that there is so much like n- not just innuendo, but just in general, you know, sexism and how they talk about women uh, in being negative for the ship, or, you know, as a bad luck for the ship. Uh, a- a- and, you know, like certain orders, like the women are to remove their undergarments and we're going to use that as a distraction. It's, it just, it doesn't, play as well i guess in a 2020s kind of audience as it did in a 1950s audience and certainly probably not in a 1970s or 1980s television audiences where i were likely saw it it's it you know it it seemed uh, much more slapsticky when i was a, as a kid and there was actually a lot of comedy dialogue in it that i that's what i think is incredibly dated about it and racist the implication that um the ship is saved because a Japanese woman's brassiere could never be that big because they can't fill it out. <laughs> I just thought they had different kinds of undergarments. I didn't think about that. Yeah. That way. <laughs> that. Yeah. Ramon, the thief. Uh, yeah. The, lots of 50 style racism, but it did have its moments. And there was some times that I thought the comedy held up. I can't remember any offhand because it's not that hilarious to me. But, you know, when you compare the red submarine, that was funny. You know, that's also something that I found odd and dated is that, yeah, so what they're they're in a pink submarine. They had to do what it took to 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 get back to safety and hear all their the people are catcalling them like they're like they're feminine or something. And uh you know, to me, you know, so what it's a, a pink, they all knew they had limited supplies and had to make do. So I, I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I thought some of the best comedy was like the requisition for toilet paper that was denied mm-hmm. because they didn't have an adequate sample of they were seeking. And that supposedly is based off a true incident that did occur. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I thought things like that were in, in, incredible well written and funny mm-hmm. at getting slapsticky part part of it i i did think the kind of the fish out of water with cary grant having to accept tony curtis's ability to acquire things sometimes on the down low and just playing along with it uh, at the same time I, I i thought was i i liked that aspect of it and and I liked the pushback from Tony, or sorry, from Cary Grant on Tony Curtis and certain things like dumping out the champagne uh, when he's trying to romance uh, the the nurse in his, I don't even want to say his room, but his, his small quarters on the, on the ship. Uh, I, I thought those were good 
little uh, nuggets of comedy in there that I thought worked very well. Especially when he came back into the room and after Tony's character had poured the two glasses into one glass, <laughs> he, made, he made him even pour that out. That, that was yeah. the part that made me laugh. What did you think of Cary Grant in this role, Lori? He's Cary Grant. I thought he played it well. I mean, I didn't think it was the the best written role, but it's Cary Grant and he brought his normal charm and charisma. But I did find, what was the name of the nurse he ended up that was... That was Dolores Crandall, lieutenant. Uh, she was annoying. It was <laughs> just too much. She and was I also, the ditzy yeah. blonde. It was too much. What, what do you what do you mean by that? Like too ditzy or too? Yeah, yeah, just too accident. I mean, I'm an accident prone person. <laughs> Maybe that's why I wrote it the wrong way. It was just too much. I mean, she couldn't have been that. She couldn't have been a lieutenant and be that dumb. I mean, just some of the things she did. Oh, did I do that? Maybe there's a reason <laughs> was... they were abandoned on that island. You know, I love Cary Grant as as an actor. I feel very comfortable watching him in this film. I hadn't seen this. I've probably haven't seen this since the 80s. So it's been, what, going on four decades uh, since I saw this. And he was much more curmudgeonly in, in this film than I remembered. I mean, I think he's very much the Cary Grant that I always remember in the first five minutes, you know, before they start flashing back and the last five minutes of the film but he doesn't really show that throughout the rest of the film. So it was a little bit different. That being said, I didn't necessarily dislike it. It just was not what I expected. I expect him to be a little bit more of the kind of almost romantic lead and not just the, you know, finally just accepting this, oh my gosh, fate has cast their stone and I must, you know, I must marry this girl who's basically be a pain in my ass the entire time. You know, let me ask you too something uh, your opinion on his accent in this one, you know, Cary Grant, he's an older actor at this point, And he definitely was one of those that mastered the style, the transatlantic accent or mid Atlantic accent, whatever you want to refer to it as, but nobody else in this film really has that accent that I can recognize offhand. And, you know, it seems to me by this time, a little outdated. And do you think that could be partly why, uh, he's, his character seems a little bit more grumpy as opposed to the others because it's more of a formal, almost trying to fool you that it's an English accent sort of uh, vibe. But, um, you know, that that's the one thing that stood out to me about this one because he's not playing off against a Kate Hepburn or somebody like that who also has this accent. But he was he was from England. That's not a fake accent. Well, I know, but he's supposed to be American. (laughs) I know, but he never lost that. I think that's more of what his his accent isn't quite that mid-Atlantic thing. It's so unique, and I think it's because of his British roots. Yeah, I I had, I mean, granted it was a comedy, but there was too much uh, uh, English accent in it for me to find him believable as an American uh, you know, submarine commander. <laughs> it, it, he, I mean, once again, I like Cary Grant. I, you know, I was able to kind of put that aside, but it was like, yeah, that was not probably the best of casting if that was way, the way you were going to go. Cause it's not like he even attempted to do anything American. 
I have so many relatives from the East Coast that have the kind of different dialects that that doesn't bother me. To me, it's and plus it's Cary Grant and he's like an old friend when I watch him on the screen. So I, I don't think that his accent, I think it was the character. I think he was um, more serious than all of the other characters. He was kind of, you know, you brought up how he spoiled Tony Curtis's character and, you know, made him pour out the champagne and stuff. I think it, I think it was just the, that was the character. He was just very serious and kind of the weight of getting the ship successfully to successfully complete its mission and get these people safely was on his shoulders. And I think you could see that. So let's talk about Tony Curtis. He's a Lieutenant junior class. Is that what his rank was? Yes. He was basically put into the kind of protocol unit. He was supposed to work with it with the Admiral um, and then got kind of stuck on the Island. Admiral probably had a reason for getting rid of him. Um, just like the nurses. Uh, but anyway, Cary Grant has, is noted for taking a keen interest in Tony, saw something of himself in this younger Tony. But uh, what did you think of Tony in this one? I, I was trying to remember if I had seen anything else earlier of his work than this. And I cannot come up with anything that I had seen earlier than this. Uh, Patrick, what do you think about Tony Curtis as the actor and his character? You know, Tony Curtis is an actor. I really don't, I, I don't have any kind of real opinion about him. I've seen him in things, this, some like it hot. Those are the two that pop in, pop into my head immediately. And they both came out the same year, a couple months later, some like it hot, um, or actually some like it hot released a few months before this came out, made him a hot, uh, commodity. And he want, they wanted, he wanted to do a movie about, a sub, basically in a submarine and he idolized Cary Grant and got Cary Grant cast in this film, which is weird. This is essentially a Tony Curtis project that Cary Grant jumped on board. Uh, it was, it was not the other way around. So it, it's interesting how it played out, but I mean, he, he's okay. I think he fits the role fine. I have no problems with it. He's uh, the con artist kind of mentality, similar to what was going on in some like it hot. I think he, he does very, very well. Uh, but I do not put Tony Curtis in any pedestal like I do Cary Grant. I think Cary Grant is a, a, a much more polished and uh, I don't want to say acceptable, but at least comfortable actor. Like Lori said, is like he's like a, an old friend that when I see him in a film, I, I'm stopping to watch the film even if I've never seen it because I just like to watch him act. I think he's really, really good. Are there any Cary Grant films you haven't seen at this point, Patrick? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot. I mean, it's, I, I've seen the big ones, you know, the, the, the box office hits, the Alfred Hitchcock films, but there's a lot in his early, early career that I have not seen, uh, where, especially some of his dramatic roles, like destination, destination Tokyo, which was another submarine film that is, uh, was one of the, uh, films that Tony Curtis grew up watching and loving Cary Grant in. I've never seen that. And it's was that 1948 ish. So it's in the 1940s. I know it's that. It's earlier. That's yeah. Earlier. Well, yeah, it's earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thus Tony Curtis seeing it when he was a kid. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so I, 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 I have not seen it, but I know like a lot of his work in the 30s and 40s, I have not seen or I've seen sporadically. Uh, I haven't seen very consistently. I've seen a lot of the things he made in the 50s and going into the 60s. Just looking at the 
suggestions for more titles like this one. There were quite a few of his that I've never seen. Yeah, I can guarantee you I have not seen a whole lot, but I always do enjoy him when I see his mm-hmm. films. Yeah, I I like Tony Curtis, but kind of what Patrick said, I don't uh, revere him as much as I do Cary Grant. He also, speaking of distinctive voices, he also has a very distinctive voice. So I liked Tony Curtis in this film as an actor, but I could not stand the character. I just felt like he was so sleazy. (laughs) That's a good job as an actor, I guess. Yes, yes. He also annoyed me. Let's talk about the the female actresses, uh, or the female actors, I should say, uh, because aren't... Uh, never mind. Uh, so Lori's already touched on Joan O'Brien's characters being overly ditzy, which is kind of the cliche of this era. I would say there's been a lot of characters like this. Even Lucille Ball during this time on TV was very ditzy like this as well, but she wasn't in the military on the TV show. But um, what did you think of her? And also Dina Merrill, the, uh, what what she a serial heiress or something like that? She was she was related to Barbara Hutton. Yeah, Carrie Grant's ex wife. And uh, yeah, she was she's one of those that comes from a wealthy family, and I'm not gonna say she she's not a talented actress, but I think her connections got her into Hollywood very easily. But what did you think of these two ladies uh, in their roles, Patrick? They were. Forgettable and interchangeable to me, other than Mrs. C, uh, Marion Ross. So uh, <laughs> who really didn't do anything. She was delightful. What, well, for what limited screen time she had, obviously she's not one of the two main female leads, uh, but they were, uh, they were, uh, they were obviously, well, let me take that back. And the commanding nurse who ends up in the engine room the whole time, she was distinctive, but everybody else just kind of blurred together. They really, really didn't stand out to me in any way, shape, or form. They were they were a plot point to work through. I don't think it was their fault. I think the the roles were just not well written. Um, I th- I think the actresses did did a great job, but like I said, I I found um, Crandall to be really annoying and overly ditzy. And you mentioned Lucille Ball, but Lucy was smart behind her ditziness, I, I, and I. I just, I don't see a comparison other than the being accident prone and comedic and funny, but I don't see the parallel to the characters because I didn't ever find Lucy annoying as, as I found um, that character <laughs> just so annoying. But uh, you said Dina Merrill. I thought she was really good and, and I think she is a good actress, at least from what I've seen in this, but not well-written roles. That was almost a tongue twister. Well, <laughs> something Lori said there uh, is that it's not their fault. And I agree with that. They're there as a prop for mm-hmm. the jokes to have meaning. And that's all they're there for. I mean, they don't, you know, the, this whole romance angle for both Tony Curtis and Cary Grant, especially the Cary Grant, essentially comes out of nowhere in the last five, 10 minutes of the film mm-hmm. is that there is no romance, uh, ro- romantic connection or believability to that story at all earlier in the film. And then it's just like, and oh, and then they got married. 
you know, like Tony Curtis obviously was pursuing the girl much more so, but the Cary Grant and uh, uh, O'Brien uh, actress, th- there was no pursuit either way uh, towards each other. They just, and, and in conclusion, they get together. That, you know, so as I said, they were a prop. It's, it, it is a product of the writing. It is not a product of poor acting. It's just they, they, they were not given anything really to do. And they were giving nothing really to distinguish them from each other. I feel like that all falls on Blake Edwards because when I think of some of Blake Edwards' early stuff, uh, like take a shot in the dark with um, Maria Gambrelli, who's played by Elkie Summer, very much ditzy like this, causing trouble, delightful, and the main character uh, falls for her. You know, I mean, Clouseau will fall for anybody, but. Uh, I noticed that there's a lot of similarities in Blake Edwards writing of blonde female characters, as Patrick said, basically a prop, which, which is unfortunate because the, the actors deserve more, you know, and I don't remember the television series uh, very well to one. Uh, I wonder if it was kind of a continuation of that. I do think it was, I do think it was pretty interesting that they essentially recast the characters. John Aston played the Cary Grant role. Oh God, I can't remember the actor who played Tony Curtis, but in season two, and there was 23 episodes in season one and 10 episodes in season two, almost everybody's recast. Uh, and they're playing completely different characters. Uh, Jim Varney was one of the few character uh, actors who went from season one to season two, um, but none of the mains. John Aston was gone. Jamie Lee Curtis was gone. They weren't even, the, the new cast was not even playing those same characters. It was just the premise. So I want to talk about Dick Sargent who I know primarily oh. as Darwood from Bewitched, uh, the the better of the Darwoods. But I thought, once again, the humor is a little dated, but I did enjoy his performance, and I do think that he's a great comedic actor. I've always enjoyed him in Bewitched, and I did like him in this, but I was just wondering uh, people's opinion on his performance in this. Lori? He was my favorite, Darren. <laughs> um <laughs> I thought he was good. Yeah, he was funny. I thought he did a good job in the film. I, I can't say anything ultimately really negative about him. Um, he he carried the comedy. Once again, the best lines and the best uh, comedy moments are with the male actors, and he's one of them. Uh, him, even at Gavin McLeod, who we know as Captain Steubing, uh, you know, playing requisition officer in this, I, I thought he was really good. I, I'd completely forgotten he was in it, and I really... I I really enjoyed him uh, in the film as well. I thought they all they all had their individual moments, and I thought they carried it very well. It was that training from Cary Grant that got him the love boat. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you all think of the overall story? Basically, if they would have just let Cary Grant's submarine stay underwater none of this would have happened and we wouldn't have had a movie but uh you know it, it was it was interesting that uh that this is basically a movie about uh a sunk ship and what it takes to steal from your own government to get it to australia with some women the end uh but what did you all think of the story patrick i i still think the premise was sound especially in the 1950s you know uh you know, decade and a half after the end of World War II, 
um, I thought that that was probably an appropriate time and it was uh, it could it could play for comedy. Obviously, it was a hit. I mean, it was a huge year for both Tony Curtis and Cary uh, Grant. Tony What'd Curtis you say had nine some, million. Yeah, it made at nine point three million in North America. Some like it hot was number four for the year. And uh, I didn't get this far down in the top ten, but North by Northwest was also in the top ten. So I mean, they both have two films in the top ten for box office in the same year. So they are. Hollywood gold at this particular moment in time. Yeah, it was it was a good premise. And I think the highlights of it we mentioned were things that were based on real incidents. So you know what they say about truth being stranger than fiction. <laughs> but um, it, I, I think it was it, it was good. I just think it went awry with the with the sexism and the I don't know how to say the. <laughs> below the belt joke. Sexism. Yeah, all the isms. I know, but you got got to admit, in 1959, that was acceptable. Yeah, Yeah. it was. In 1979, it was very acceptable. It was, yeah. Uh, What do you guys want to talk about next? I thought the island locales were pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought... For, I thought they created fairly well the claustrophobic, claustrophobic feeling of a uh, a submarine, um, with the exception that it's probably the most well lit submarine in existence. I mean, there's it's just so bright constantly on the submarine; it's not dark in any capacity, which I think probably is probably not accurate. Uh, but you know, they definitely wanted the audience to see what was going on; otherwise, the comedy wouldn't work. I did like the, um, I don't know why I always love submarine movies. Just that fascinates me, those confined quarters. And I just think how difficult that would be. So I'm always, I'm always interested in movies on subs. Yeah. Submarine movies are something I generally do like. I mean, there's, I'm hard pressed to think of a submarine movie I did not like. I even like Down Periscope with Kelsey Grammer. Mm -hmm. It's, not great cinema, but I, I like the idea of a submarine. I would never want to be on one, but no. I like the idea of them. I think it just, I, I think comedies, especially, I think comedies and intense dramas work very well on submarines because of the claustrophobic type uh, settings. I think that those are two, the two things that tend to work. What are your thoughts about beetles and yellow submarines? <laughs> we oh all God. live in one. That one I did not. Bizarre animation I cared for. <laughs> That's like Disney-esque on LSD. That is a really good description. Not not inaccurate by any stretch of the imagination. All right, let's go around the table here. Let's give our final thoughts. And after all, send on on a scale of one to five. Uh, do you consider this film a bad one? Or do you give it a high five? Lori? I'm going to give it, wow. I'm going to give it a three. And I'm going to say that Cary Grant raises it a star to the three. It probably, without Cary Grant, it would have definitely been a two. Another follow-up question, Lori. Mm -hmm. Out of all the Cary Grant films that you've seen that you remember, is this one in his top half or bottom half? Uh, I, I don't think I've seen enough to say that. So I'm going to 
put of the films I have seen, I think it's in the bottom. But there's so many I haven't seen, and I don't know if they're good. So I'm going to put it in the middle for now until I see more. And, uh, and I need to see more. That's Lori has punted <laughs> on that answer. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> I had a much greater fondness for this film before rewatching it. I remember it uh, very, very well as liking it when I was younger. And, and I literally probably have not seen this for 40 years. And and, and and then you're looking at it through the perspective of a 10-year-old boy who probably didn't get a lot of the jokes in this. It's dated. Uh, I agree. I was surprised that some of the innuendo that they were actually attempting to get away with that in 1959. And uh, I, it did not play as well for me. It, it, it does, it, it's a product of a different generation. Um, that being said, I still like Cary Grant a lot. And so I would say I'd give it three. Uh, out of five, I think I was still inter- I still had moments of entertainment. I still in- I enjoyed revisiting it. Probably not one I'm going to be re- revisiting again. As far as in the top half or bottom half, that that's a tough question for me. I, there are very few bad Cary Grant films, and this is not a bad Cary Grant film. But because he makes so many good ones, it's this would probably be in the bottom half. But even still. He- bottom half is better than most people's top halves. You know? True. So uh, I, I would I would say that it's 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 probably in the bottom half of the films. It it goes nowhere near you know like bringing up baby or the Philadelphia story. I'm trying to think holiday, um, uh, you know, uh, any of the Alfred Hitchcock films. Um, and there's I mean there's so many. A-list performances by him in so many different films. Now, and once again, I will say I haven't seen a lot of this stuff, especially his early stuff when he was kind of just grinding it out, taking whatever roles he can get. You know, he it, once he became Cary Grant, he had a he had a lot of ability to control what projects he did, and he, and he made some excellent choices. But in the mid and early 30s, uh, he he probably was doing a lot of shit that. I haven't seen it yet, but probably not very good. Well, I think a three is is a very good description of this. For me, this is in the lower half of Cary Grant films that I've seen, simply because I think the humor and the the context is so dated. You know, Cary does a, a great job anytime I see him, but this is not a, a film that I would seek out of his you know, I would rather be watching uh, Arsenic and Old Lace or maybe some of his more um, 30s slapstick screwball comedies sort of things uh, before I would want to see this one. It's not even one of my favorite Blake Edwards films of, of this era. Uh, I'm thinking of The Pink Panther and A Shot in the Dark, which I think far exceeds this one as a pure comedy. Uh, and even though Pink Panther can be hit or miss depending on your your uh, sense of humor, I think that whole those early films hold up much better than this one does. All right, well that's it for our review of Operation Petticoats. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section. Uh, if you enjoyed today's review, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. EMHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Until next time at the big show, when we will review another classic from the 1930s or 40s, I'm Chris. 
I'm Lori. And I gotta go launch some torpedoes. And that's a wrap. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Hyperfun is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the golden age of the silver screen, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.